Okay, grab your Bibles, turn to Genesis 34. If you've ever read Genesis, you know that this is some rough content this morning. So there you go. You've had your... (laughs) Brace yourselves. (laughs) Genesis 34. We're going to pray and then we're going to get right to work and look at some tough content, but some beautiful, just sobering, uh, very very necessary pictures in this passage. There's a, lot to, there's a lot to glean, so we want to ask the Lord to help us do just that. If you didn't get a handout on the way in, you can put your hand up, and uh, the Connections team will get you a set of notes. But we're going to pray, and then we're going to get to work. Father, we love you, Lord. God, thank you for loving us. God, help us to see this morning how seriously you take sin, and that We'd, we'd know the reality, the truth of the fact that the wages of sin is death. But Lord, I also pray that in everything that we see today that it'd make us so grateful for Calvary, that God, you loved us so greatly that you weren't willing that we'd perish and that Christ himself would be willing to bear our sin and satisfy your wrath. And so God, we thank you for the finished work of Calvary. We thank you that, that, that what is freely offered to us the Lord Jesus was willing to pay everything. He was willing to pay the price and give his life. And so, Lord, uh, speak to our hearts. Help us to be sober when we consider how the world wants our families, how the world wants to corrupt our children. Uh, help us to recognize our need to be all in on following your word. Uh, Lord, help us to see that's the best protection that we can offer to our children. Lord, I pray that uh, we'd not let your word fall to the ground, that we would take it and we'd take it to heart and that we would, you know, none of us are gonna, none of us are gonna do marriage perfectly. None of us are gonna be perfect as parents, but, but Lord, we can endeavor and our families can see that. And uh, Lord, you can use that in the lives of our families for your glory. And so we're trusting you for that this morning, all in Jesus' name, amen. So in Genesis 34, we're gonna see a great deception take place after a great tragedy. Verse one says, and Dinah, the daughter of Leah, which she bare unto Jacob, went out to the daughters of the land. Went out to see the daughters of the land. Now, Jacob is supposed to be in Bethel, right? That's where he's supposed to be. We saw that from Genesis chapter 31, uh, particularly in verse three, and we're gonna see it after this event. God's gonna make it very plain. Get back to Bethel. Uh, Instead, what he does is he stops in Sukkoth, in this area, one of these cities of Sukkoth, this city of Shechem, and and we find out what he's done is he's put roots down. He stops functioning as a pilgrim, as a sojourner, following the word of the Lord, and and what he does is he builds a house. Uh, You know, this is the first record in chapter 33 that we have of a patriarch building a house, but that's what the people in this area do. So he gives up pilgrim living, tent living. Uh, He's gonna put down roots in this place that God did not tell him to go to. And his daughter, so here's here's Jacob, not, not, I mean he gets close to obeying the Lord. Uh, He's kinda one bun in it, okay? He gets close to obeying the Lord and he thinks close enough is good enough. And now he's in a place where his children are now trying to build relationships in the community. Dinah goes out to make some friends. Verse two tells you what happens, and when Shechem, the son of Hamor, the Hivite, prince of the country, saw her, he took her and lay with her and defiled her. 
So verse two shows that he, she is attacked, irresistible force is used, she's overwhelmed by force. Took means to take physically. Lay means intercourse and defiled shows that she was, she was raped. Dinah loses her virginity by rape. He defiled her. That's what the text says. And what we see here then is this man that is the rapist, right? He is the prince of this country and he feels self-entitled. He saw her and he took her. He lay with her and he defiled her. This prince was self-entitled. And this is what happens when people think that they have the right to perpetrate, they have the right to abuse other people. Uh, they're self-entitled. They feel that they deserve to be able to do so and they do that forgetting that God sees everything and vengeance is his. They forget all of this. They feel self-entitled and they feel they have the right to treat people how they wanna treat. They forget that vengeance belongs to the Lord and they think, that they, they think that God's not watching and they can do what they want. Here's a guy who thinks it's good to be king. I can have any woman I want in this land and holy smokes, who just moved in? I'll take that. Regardless of what she wants, I'm gonna force my will upon her. This is wicked. This would not have happened though if Jacob was dwelling in Bethel, right? This would not have been possible had Jacob just obeyed the word of the Lord. So this was a result. This catastrophe is the result of Jacob stopping short of full obedience. That's your next blank. He stopped short of just following the word of God. Remember, God called him back to Bethel, but Jacob stops short in this area of Sukkoth. He builds booths, he's building barns for his cattle in this city of Shechem. He settles there and he starts living like the people there. He's putting down roots, he's building a house. He stopped sojourning. This cat's supposed to be living in a tent so he can take up and he can follow the voice of the Lord, the word of God, wherever it leads him. Instead, he's gonna now live like the lost world around him. He forgot that he was a pilgrim and he started thinking like the lost world. He starts living like the lost world. So don't miss this picture, okay? Obviously, here's a believer who is now living like the lost world and that brings trouble to his home. Living like the lost world always brings trouble. It brings trouble to your family. Moms, dads, don't you know that this lost world wants your kids? They're absolutely after your children. And what happens is, is parents stop short of being sold out to God. Close enough, and this is just the typical Laodicean, last days Christian mentality. Close enough, following God is good enough. Man, our God is a jealous God. He'll have no other gods. There are no other agendas that get to come before what his word declares should be true over your life. Don't settle for second best. Don't settle for halfway because your kids are watching. (laughs) Parents stop short of being sold out. They shift mentalities from being a sojourner in this world. The example is Abraham. Abraham is the father of all who believe, right? He's a father of faith, and what is he? He's a sojourner, he's a dweller in tents. He has the mentality that this world is not his home, he's just passing through. You remember what the Bible said, he's looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. He recognized that God had him in this world. He's a man on a mission. He was in this place in that time to accomplish something for the Lord. Believers need to follow that example. But parents, you know, too often we think close enough is good enough and we end up 
shifting in our mentality, shifting in our life, making the agenda of the lost world a priority, and then our kids get swept up in that. You got parents who, you know, Sunday, I mean, the Bible's very clear. Hebrews chapter 10 tells us not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Other people do that, that's not for believers. We recognize the scripture calls us to come together to provoke one another to love and to good works. We need that, we need that provocation. We need the Ephesians 4 function of every member in the local church working to build us up in our faith and, and mature us in Christ. We desperately need that, but then it's like, you know, it's warm, my boat's running really good, and, and you, know, the, the, you know, my kids, you know, showed a little bit of talent, and so I'm gonna keep them in a sports league that only plays on Sundays, what are you talking about? So I, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna save a few bucks getting a scholarship for my kid in college, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna not get them the biblical education that they need they're not gonna, I'm gonna deprive them of the Ephesians 4 plan that God lays out for a local church structure. And then my kids grow up and decide they wanna live like the world and I'm scratching my head like, I raised you better than that. Well, no, no you didn't. You showed them that following God was optional. Obeying his word was optional in your life. I mean, this happens all the time. Moms and dads, one bonnet for Jesus and then they wonder why their kids are just a total wreck spiritually not involved in ministry, not modeling ministry for their kids. Instead, they're focused on their hobbies. They're not focused on worship. Ah, you know, I worship God best with a six pack and my boat right out in the middle of the lake. Okay, good luck with that. God is, God wants, I mean, you, you remember how he approaches his people in the beginning, he gives them the law. He's a jealous God, he'll have no other gods before him. It's like, I didn't, you know, if he's, if he's the all-powerful, all-knowing, everything God, why is he so petty? He loves you. He's not petty, he wants what's best for you and what's best for you is him in the place of preeminence in your life. You need that, we, need, we desperately need that. We need his word to be a light to our path. We need to abide in him and have him abide in us. We need to be all out for Jesus because that is the place of safety. I need my wife and my kids to know that God is worth following, that God is worth believing, God is worth obeying. I want, to, I, want to, I want my family to see that I'm all in on Jesus. They need to know the reality of who God is and his worthiness because they see it in my life. Man, we need that so desperately. Get this down in your notes. Don't miss this picture. Fathers, your, car, your carnality multiplies in your children. Here's Joseph half-stepping with Jesus. I'm supposed to be in Bethel, but, but look at Sukkoth, man. This place is great. Our herds would really do well here. A lot of water, uh, there's plenty, plenty of resources for our herds. So he's half-stepping it with Jesus. Well, you do that, then your kids are gonna run with the world. And so here's the problem. Diana's not in Bethel. That's the problem in this picture. She's in the wrong place, seeking wrong relationships in Shechem. And then the prince of Shechem, Shechem himself comes and destroys her purity. So get this down in your notes, man. Anytime we backslide in sin, that results in death. Here it's the death of her purity. It's the loss of her innocence. But it should be no surprise. James chapter one, verse 13 says, let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Close enough is good enough. And then you live, you know, you're half in 
on the word of God, you're half in on the call of God on your life, you're living that way, well, what's the result of that? Verse 15, when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. You know, people all the time, they, you know, young man grows up, he's like, I, I need to, it's, you know, I'm making a living, I wanna get married, and, and if, you, you know, I don't, I don't know what else to tell you. If you find your wife in a bar, don't be surprised if you raise bar flies, right? Everything reproduces after its kind. Uh, you, find your, you find your mate in a bar, what are you gonna raise? Well, yeah, you're gonna raise hell, that's what you're gonna raise. What's the solution? Galatians chapter six says we're not to be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever you sow in your life, that's, what's gonna, that's what you're gonna get back. Whatever you build into your life, that is going to multiply, it's gonna compound, and that's what's gonna come back to you. So if it's disobedience to the Lord, if you're, you get what I'm saying, if you're one bun in it for Jesus, okay, you're just close enough, is good enough in your mentality. Uh, God doesn't expect much from me. He knows my heart. I'm just gonna, I know what the Bible says, but I gotta do what I gotta do. Okay, that approach to Christian living is going to grow. It's going to multiply and you're gonna reap that. And the Bible says, if you sow to the flesh, you reap of the flesh corruption, but he that soweth to the spirit shall of the spirit reap life everlasting. This is why the Bible tells you to not be weary in well-doing for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. You know what I want desperately for my family? You know what I want desperately for my kids? That every one of my children at the judgment seat of Christ that they will hear, well done my good and faithful servant. That there will be fruit that abounds to their account at the judgment seat of Christ. You know what I want desperately for you? I want everybody in this room, when they stand before the Lord Jesus Christ and have to give an account of the Christian life, of the eternal life that God gave them at salvation, that God's response to them will be, man, look at all these people that are followers of the Lord Jesus, you know, they're, they're followers of Jesus Christ, they're followers of me because of your investment in their life. I want you to have fruit that abounds at the judgment seat of Christ. Okay, well, if I don't care about any of those things, if I'm all about just holding services so that we can, we can have services about God instead of us coming together to meet with God and for us to tremble before him at the, at the word of God, if I, if I, you know, I'm a pastor here at MBT, if it's very clear I'm just one bun in it for Jesus, well what's gonna happen to our church family? Well the same thing happens husbands, fathers. You're the pastor of your home. And your family see, I mean, they see you. They see how you're living. They see what you're doing. Jacob's like, I'm gonna get rich right here. Look at the pasture land. Look at, this is a place to raise cattle. This is a place to raise sheep. So he's, you know, Bethel can come later. We'll get there. You know, eventually, mama didn't raise any fools. I gotta make hay while the sun's shining. Okay, so that mentality, Dinah saw it. She's like, I'm gonna build some relationships out here in the world. And it led to her, purity being destroyed. Dad, you got, uh, okay, so in our home, we, 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 we decided, I mean, our kids didn't get, they got a cell phone later than most kids, but we made sure they had a cell phone. We wanted them to learn how to navigate their internet connection while they had backup and support. But with that, they would have to surrender to their device at a moment's notice. Cheryl was on that like a duck on a June bug, man. I mean, it's just every, every just few days, let me see your phone. And the kids had, I mean, if they wanted a phone, they had to turn it over without any quibble or any argument. 
and uh, mom could you know, look at whatever she wanted to look at. And we had a situation where some dude, some old dude was going after my prepubescent daughter, grooming her, trying to get her to give up her innocence and her purity. I mean, thank God we were watching that phone like a hawk because this cat, this evil, I mean, it was like, do we hire someone? I got, like, I'd like to know where this cat lives. I mean, I'll buy tickets. <laughs> you know, go find this dude. I, man, praise the Lord, it, there was a rescue and a rest. I'm so grateful to the Lord. Um, my daughter got married two and a half years ago. I'm still recovering. <laughs> I'm kind of getting to a new normal. I'm starting to deal with it, but I'm just, it was so wonderful to be able to bring my daughter in her purity and in her innocence and be able to give her away to this man who's gonna be her husband. Man, praise the Lord. And now she's got a dude that can watch out for her, no problem. Uh, if you've not met my son-in-law, he, he, he can take care of business. So praise the Lord, you know. Dads, you gotta watch. Moms, the world wants your children and if you're not watching out for them, the deception will come. You know, he packages lies so attractively. Here's the solution. Sow to the Spirit. Reap life everlasting. Don't grow weary in doing that because you will reap, you will reap the fruit. Reap. <laughs> That's reap and fruit comboed into one word. You will reap, man. No, you will reap the fruit of that. Don't faint. Okay, but now let's back up even more. At the end of the day, Jacob is a sojourner. He is a pilgrim. He is gonna keep following the Lord. And so just know this. Here's what we see in verse two. As we sojourn, as we endeavor to follow the voice of the Lord, well, trouble is gonna find us. Uh, there's just no way around that. Job 5 said, uh, yeah, Job 5, 7 says, yet man is born unto trouble as sparks fly upward. <laughs> it's just inevitable. It's gonna happen. Uh, we do live in a sinful and fallen world. Job 14 verse one says, man that is born of woman is of few days and full of trouble. That's a verse to memorize. <laughs> I mean, it's just, uh, we, we talked about that. Was this last week? I introduced a great song to you guys. Hee haw, gloom, despair, and agony on me. Was that last week? Did anybody Google that? Did you look that up? No. It'd take you like five seconds on Google. Google. It's worth your time. Okay, it's from another era, another age, but uh, you know, gloom, despair, and agony on me. <laughs> that was close, that was pretty weak. Deep, dark depression, excessive misery. If it weren't for bad luck, I'd have no luck at all. Oh, gloom, despair. Okay, so. And that, that's, those kind of times will come as we endeavor to sojourn, as we endeavor to follow God according to his word. And, you know, these trials, these times of temptation, they're gonna come. Just mark it down. Make the decision up front that there is an evil man, there is an evil day. Not everybody has faith. These things are out there and that so help you God by his grace. In the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are saved. Make the decision that when trouble comes, you will not, I mean, you're not gonna falter. You're gonna stand fast in the faith that God's called you to in his word. Number four, in verses three and four, we see the rapist was a prince. 
and he was self-entitled. You say, you already had that point. Well, I wanna double down and keep making it. Verse three says, his soul clave unto Dinah, the daughter of Jacob, and he loved the damsel, and he spake kindly unto the damsel. And Shechem spake unto his father Hamor, saying, get me this damsel to wife. This self-entitled little rapist brat decided that what he took, he's gonna keep. Keep is your next blank. Uh, You know, he's, remember, do the math on this. Remember, these patriarchs, all of their wives are hotties. Remember that? We've already seen that here in the story of Genesis. Jacob has a good-looking family, and so Dinah, he saw her, he had no self-control, he's a self-entitled little brat, and so he takes her, he rapes her, and now he's like, I, you know, I'm just gonna keep, I'm gonna keep taking her for myself. Go get her to me, right? Go bring her, uh, get this damsel to be my wife. And so, verse five says, Jacob heard that he had defiled Dinah, his daughter. Now his sons were with his cattle in the field, and Jacob held his peace until they were come. And Hamor, the father of Shechem, went out unto Jacob to commune with him. Shechem's father, Hamor, is gonna propose an alliance with Israel to make this marriage possible. And we're gonna see that down in verses eight through 12. Now don't miss the picture. What is the enemy doing? And we saw this from the beginning. We started looking at the seed in Genesis chapter one. And now everything reproduces after its kind. And then we see the satanic attack on creation and on Adam as the chief steward serving God's agenda. You remember what the goal was? Adam and Eve were supposed to bear fruit, right? They were supposed to reproduce as well after their kind. The Bible says that when God formed Adam from the dust of the ground, he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and Adam became, according to Luke chapter three, at the very last verse, verse 38, at the end of the chapter, he became the son of God. He became a living soul, but he's called the son of God. And we talked about this. Sons of God in your Bible are all direct creations of God himself. I'm a son of God. Physically, I'm a son of Mike Miles. Um, You know, at one point, I was a gleam in his eye, and now here I am, okay? But spiritually, I was born again. I'm a new, this is how the Bible describes a, a, a Christian. We're new creatures, we're new creations in Christ. John describes it as being born again, okay? Um, I am the direct spiritual offspring of the seed of the word of God. I believed on the gospel of Jesus Christ and now I'm born again as a new creature, as a new person into his family. Okay, so. Here's Adam and Eve. They're supposed to be fruitful and multiply, reproduce after their kind and fill the earth with life, with sons and daughters of God who will worship him. Well, Satan ain't having that and so he deceives Eve. That's how he knows he can get get to Adam. Adam joins Eve in her rebellion and now they're fallen in sin. They have this sin nature. And you remember the first prophecy that we saw in the Bible in Genesis 3.15, Uh, The Lord Jesus said the seed of the woman will crush the serpent's head. Satan, you will be destroyed by the seed of the woman. Then we saw it from that that moment on, Satan is attacking the seed of the woman. We see this consistently. Well, this is no different. What's Satan trying to do? He wants Israel, like the line of the promised Messiah comes down through Noah's family to Abraham's family and it's obvious now to everyone it's in Jacob. And so what does Satan want? Satan wants Jacob's family married to his family. He doesn't want the seed of the woman to crush his head. So it's to corrupt the seed of the woman. That's the devil's goal. He wants to overthrow the Genesis 3.15 prophecy. 
but also he's trying to get God's people to marry the world. He wants God's people to live the, the, the lost world lifestyle. Uh, keep a finger here and turn in your Bibles to Numbers chapter 25. Numbers 25, we'll pick it up in verse one. In Numbers 25, they, they follow the Moabites, man. And is the lost world in Numbers 25 working and concerned, trying to protect the purity of God's people? No way, man, that's not what happens. So generations later, here's Israel sojourning. Israel is a nation now following the voice, the word of the Lord to the promised land. And what do they do? They live in Shittim. Israel abode in Shittim and the people began to commit whoredom with the daughters of Moab. They're on their way to the promised land, but they stop to live lost for a while. Now they're fornicating with Moab. And they called the people into the sacrifices of their God, and the people did eat and bow down to their gods, and Israel joined himself unto Baal Peor. Israel started cheating on God spiritually even, right? I mean, they're, they're, they're fornicating with Moab physically, but spiritually now, they're worshiping other gods. Israel is joined. See how the Bible puts that. It's spiritual adultery is the description. Joined unto Baal Peor. And the anger, of, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And he told Moses in verse four, the people that are joined to Baal Peor, right? They have to be taken from among the people. They have to be put to death. And you have this guy that takes a Midianitish woman in verse six, right in front of Moses, in sight of the whole congregation of Israel. Phineas sees it in verse seven. He's the son of Aaron the priest. He rises up and takes his javelin Verse eight, and he went in after the man of Israel into his tent and thrust both of them through, the man of Israel and the woman through her belly. So the plague was stayed from the children of Israel. And those that died in the plague were 20 and 4,000. Man, just a harsh reality of how God views spiritual betrayal. And it's the same today. Even in the age of grace, people commit spiritual adultery against God. It's a little different, but here's what it looks like. Paul warns Timothy about it in 2 Timothy 4, verse three. He says, the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. I know what the Bible says, but I, man, it's, it's too harsh. It's too unreasonable. And behind that's always the spirit of Antichrist. People wanna stand in the place of God as God. They don't wanna submit to the Lord Jesus Christ. They wanna submit to their own will and their own wishes, and so, you know, I know what the Bible says, but here's why I can't do that right now. Maybe it's a situation where, you know, later, later I'll get serious about the Lord. Instead, what I'm looking for is Jesus light or Bible light, and so what they'll do is they'll look for someone that'll preach the book the way they wanna hear it. And so after their own lust, shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. I wanna, you know, I know what the Bible says, but you know, all truth's God's truth, and, and here's some good information that's gonna help me as well. And it, what, pretty soon what happens is, is your Bible doesn't see the time of day, and it's very interesting. I mean, check out Romans chapter one sometime. It's interesting. Um, you know, the, the mo- uh, probably the most extreme example, okay, of this type of mentality or this, this bent, you know, in terms of the things that people pursue in life, 
the most extreme example would be where the Bible says the fool hath said in his heart there is no God. And then it tells you why he says that. In other words, Romans chapter one is very clear. The evidence of a special creator, it's incontrovertible. You know, um, Darwin had said, you know, if there's evidence of machinery as being necessity, right, critical, uh, necessary for life, well then this theory will come apart, you know, because basically what he's communicating is, is chemical interactions is responsible for the production of life. Well, now we know we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Everybody can see this. I mean, the machinery that makes your life possible is amazing. I mean, you've got motors and generators in the cells of your body. Come to find out, I mean, you are like on multiple levels. You're a meat robot running on wetware. I mean, the programming that made your life possible. It's just billions of lines of DNA code. and It's just incredible, okay? We are fearfully and wonderfully made. There's no way around it. But Romans 1 says, when we know the creator, this is what the heart of a lost man does, we deny that and instead we worship creation. What's built in the heart of a lost man? Well, rebellion against God. That's what's built in his heart. So we know God, but we don't honor, give him glory, and worship him as God. Instead, we wanna stand in the place of God as God and worship ourselves. And it always goes to sexual sin. In Psalms, the fool says in his heart, there is no God, why? Well, because he wants to do abominable works. And I've told you guys this story before. When I was a young man, I'm on my way home from work, I'm listening to NPR, and, and they're doing an interview on creation, right? On, on creation myths, on, on the origin of life, and, and um, this scientist, this philosopher, whatever he is, he's an expert of some kind, uh, he makes the statement, he says, well, the only the only origin story that actually makes sense is the Genesis account. He says, but, but there has to be another way because if that's true, then that's gonna have negative implications on our sexual liberties. <laughs> In other words, I wanna be able to do what I want with whoever I want to. I don't want God harsh in my buzz. It's always interesting. So in Romans chapter one, when you see that slide into sin, what is it? Sexual perversion. What's behind all of that? It's satanic. The last thing that Satan wants is for a people, one man with one woman, glorifying God till death parts them. He doesn't want that, he hates that picture, why? Because it pictures Christ in the church. Cheryl and I, this is my wife Cheryl, isn't she lovely? Okay, there's my wife Cheryl. We too have become one flesh, and the proof is in Sophie, Sam, and Seth. There are three very convincing illustrations of the fact that we're one flesh run around all over the world now, okay? Two become one. Satan hates it. He hates that, and so he's at war against it. Verse seven, the sons of Jacob came out of the field when they heard it, and the men were grieved, and they were very wroth. Well, who wouldn't be? Their, their, their little sister got raped because he, Shechem, had wrought folly in Israel in lying with Jacob's daughter which thing ought not to be done. Okay, verse seven gives you an incredible first. This is the first time the name Israel is used in the collective sense in terms of this family's self-identity as a people, right, as a household. And they're outraged, notice this. Okay, you know, he, he wrought folly in Israel and laying with Jacob's daughter. They're outraged over this sexual sin. Well, these Pharisaic, I mean, pharisaical, sanctimonious jerks, because that's what we're gonna see. 
I mean, this is the pot calling the kettle black. I mean, Reuben, in the very next chapter, we're gonna see Reuben, the firstborn. He loses his inheritance after sleeping with his father's concubine in chapter 35. That's what we're gonna see next, sexual sin in, in Israel. Simon and Levi are next in line, but they get passed over for the blessing because of what they do in this chapter. They end up murdering, I mean, apparently mass murder, right? Rape justifies mass murder. No, it doesn't, okay? So these guys are wicked, <laughs> so they get passed over. There's a big problem there. And then that leaves Judah as next in line for the Abrahamic blessing, and clearly the devil's out to make him stumble because in chapter 38, we're gonna see him messed up from the ground up. And all of it is just bizarre and warped. All right, verse eight. Here's the proposal that Hamor makes. Hamor communed with Israel, with them saying, the soul of my son Shechem longeth for your daughter. I pray you give her him to wife and make ye marriages with us and give your daughters unto us and take our daughters unto you and ye shall dwell with us and all, right, the land shall be before you. Dwell and trade ye therein and get you possessions therein. And Shechem said unto her father and unto her brethren, let me find grace in your eyes. And what you shall say unto me, I will give. Ask me never so much dowry and gift, and I will give thee, I will give according as ye shall say unto me, but give me the damsel to wife. And the sons of Jacob answered Shechem and Hamor, his father, deceitfully, watched their counter proposal, and said, because he had defiled Dinah, their sister, they said unto him, unto them, we cannot do this thing to give our sister to one that is uncircumcised, for that were a reproach to us. But in this will we consent unto you, if you will be as we be, that every male of you be circumcised, then will we give you, right, then will we give our daughters unto you, and we will take your daughters unto us, and we will dwell with you, and we will become one people. But if you will not hearken unto us to be circumcised, then we will take our daughter, and we will be gone. And their words pleased Hamor, and Shechem Hamor's son, Okay, so their counterproposal is a lie. Uh, you know, if you get circumcised, then we'll just be one big family. We'll live happily ever after. They don't mean any of it. But here's their response. Watch this in verse 19. And the young man deferred not to do the thing. I mean, okay, whatever you want, I need Diana to be my wife. They're like, this can't be. You're all uncircumcised. You know, we're a peculiar people. And one of the things that give us that title is God told Abraham, our father Abraham, that this had to be the case. Every male child has to be circumcised on the eighth day. And so if we're gonna do this thing, if, if we're gonna actually give you our daughter to be his wife, y'all have to get circumcised. That should have been cause for pause for anyone. Um, for, just for clarity, a circumcision is the circumscribing, it's the cutting away of the flesh, specifically in this context of the male member. And just, ladies, I don't know, I try to put this as delicately as I can. Um, this is an extremely sensitive area of skin, okay? And we're talking about cutting a bunch of it off. I mean, like, there's not a dude that reads this story and he doesn't just, like, get all squinched up inside a little bit. This is heavy commitment, okay. And there's a reason why God said do it on the eighth day because no dude that got circumcised ever wants to have that memory. It's a bad deal. I, I don't know if I could tell this story, but I know a man who worked in construction 
a lot of sweat, a lot of grime, and just constant irritation, and very, very uncomfortable. He goes to his doctor, like, what's the solution for this? I've tried, you know, powders and creams and blah, blah, blah. He's like, well, the the surefire cure is circumcision. And uh, okay, you know, probably, you know, short-term agony, long-term worth it. That dude got a circumcision in his like middle, late 30s, okay? After that circumcision, laid in bed for a week, barely moved for a week, lost a lot of weight. Okay, that's what we're talking about. This is... Uh, this is a heavy burden for grown, <laughs> grown, a city of grown men to marry. Look at, look at Shechem's response. He deferred not to do the thing. I mean, literally just whipped it out and said, let's go. Why? Because he had delight in Jacob's daughter. And look at what the text says about him. And he was more honorable than all the house of his father. The Bible's described making that description about a rapist. He's more honorable than, like, what a mess Shechem is. And you get inside. You mean, watch, right, right here next, we see these guys are all thieves. Look at verse 20. And Hamor and Shechem, his son, came unto the gate of their city and communed with the men of their city, saying, these men are peaceable with us. Uh, no, they're not. Therefore, let them dwell in the land and trade therein. For the land, behold, it is large enough for them. Let us take their daughters to us for wives and let us give them our daughters. Only herein will the men consent unto us for to dwell with us, to be, one, to be one people. If every male among us be circumcised as they are circumcised. So there's the rough news, but here's the carrot. Verse 23, boys, it'll be rough, but it's worth it. Verse 23, shall not their cattle and their substance and every beast of theirs be ours? It might take a little time, but eventually we will rob them blind. We will take them, I mean, we will clean them out. Will not everything, right, be ours? Only let us consent unto them, and they will dwell with us. In other words, we can take everything that Jacob has. Verse 24, everybody thought it was worth it because Jacob is rich. They want what he has. He's so rich, it's worth getting circumcised over. So unto Hamor and unto Shechem, his son, hearkened all that went out of the gate of his city, and every male was circumcised. The ones that didn't want it, they got it anyway. And they, all that went out of the gate of his city. Okay, so here comes destruction in the second half of this chapter, verse 25. And it came to pass on the third day when they were sore, when they can't move, that two of the sons of Jacob, Simon and Levi, Dinah's brethren, took each man his sword and came upon the city boldly. They're not even sneaking in. They're walking in bold as, bla- bold as brass and slew all the males. And they slew Hamor and Shechem his son with the edge of his sword and took Dinah out of Shechem's house and went out. So what you saw in this counter proposal that Simon and Levi make, it's they're plotting revenge and premeditating murder on all the men of Shechem. Hamor was scheming to take everything that Jacob had in verses 20 through 23. Okay, Simon and Levi, mass murder, obviously that's an evil act on their part, but notice their motive. Look at the next verse in 27. The sons of Jacob came upon the slain and they spoiled the city. The sons of Jacob came upon the slain and spoiled the city because they had defiled their sister. So premeditated murder, mass murder, and theft. That's their, their justification is that their sister got raped. They did all of that. They took their sheep and their oxen and their asses 
and that which was in the city and that which was in the field and all their wealth and all their little ones and their wives took they captive and spoiled even all that was in the house. I mean, one moment, I mean, from Shechem's perspective, look at what happened. One moment of monstrous pleasure, one moment of wickedness led to the destruction and loss of everything, including his own life. But look at the monstrous response of Simon and Levi, or Simeon and Levi. Everything that Shechem planned for them, that's what they did to them. They've got theft in their heart as well. But it's the providence of God. Like God could have shut that down. God didn't stop them. Why? Well, because man has a free will. And God in his providence sometimes will use a Simon and a Levi and a Jehu. Just keep a finger there. Turn to 2 Kings chapter 10. And you'll see these guys who, like, God never commanded them, but God, God will use their monstrous response as an instrument of judgment. In 2 Kings chapter 10, you've got Jehu wiping out the house of Ahab. Ahab is so wicked, and he so entrenches Israel in Baal worship. And God pronounces judgment on him. God sees the end from the beginning and he knew what Jehu would do and so he, he warns Ahab. Ahab, instead of repenting, he just doubles down on his wickedness and now the day of reckoning come. It comes and, and in 2 Kings 10, 11, the Bible says Jehu slew all that remained of the house of Ahab and Jezreel and all his great men and all his kinfolks and his priests until he left him none remaining. And then the guys... Uh, in verse 12, he leaves, comes to Samaria, and Jehu meets with the brethren of Ahaziah, the king of Judah, and asked him who they were. They says, we're going to visit Ahab. And so he takes them, takes them to the pit, and, and, and kills 42 men. He doesn't leave any of them alive. So the people who are sympathizers with Ahab, he takes out. And then in verse 17, he comes to Samaria. He kills everybody that remains unto Ahab in Samaria. Verse 17 says, until he had destroyed him according to the saying of the Lord, which he spake unto Elijah. And then he gathers all the people together and he says, you know, Ahab had to go. That guy was a hot mess. And he served Baal, but only marginally. He just served him a little. I'm gonna show you guys how it's really done. And he made a mandate. He told everybody, and he does this, the Bible says with subtlety, with the intent of wiping out Baal worshipers in Israel. But he says, I'm gonna, I'm gonna show you guys how it's done. Everybody that's a Baal worshiper, you better show up for the party. If you don't, I have, a very spe- I have a very special set of skills. I will hunt you, I will find you, and I will kill you. If you're a Baal worshiper, you will show up for this party, and everybody comes. And then he's got 80 guys, 80 mercenaries, and he said, okay, you let any of these guys escape. If anybody escapes, it's your life for theirs. So they're highly motivated to get the, get the mass murdering done. Okay, so now watch this. In verse 25, it says, it came to pass as soon as he, Jehu, had made an end of offering the burnt offering, he got the party started, that Jehu said to the guard and to the captains, go in and slay them, let none of them come forth. And they wiped them out. Verse 28 says, thus Jehu destroyed Baal out of Israel. I mean, just a horrific, monstrous response, and God let it happen. God had warned Israel and warned Israel, judgment is coming. It should have been no surprise and yet there it, there it is. 
But don't miss this, God's wrath over sin is real. In Deuteronomy chapter 20 and verse 16, God says the cities of these people which the Lord thy God doth give thee for an inheritance, thou shalt save alive nothing that breatheth. And you remember we saw some reasons for this. Okay, in Genesis chapter six, what do you have? You've got celestial beings cohabiting with terrestrial beings and the, res- the response are these chimeric, um, these, these hybrids, right? These chimeric beings called Nephilim, these giants. And what happened in Genesis six, the corruption took place in such a way so as to corrupt all flesh. That's what the text said. All flesh was corrupt before the Lord. Only Noah is upright in his generations. Uh, His genealogy is intact. And so we saw as much as anything, Genesis six was God hitting the reset button on the human genome. In Genesis six it said it happened then but also after that. When you get to Israel taken the promised land, the Canaan land, what do they have? They've got giants in the land. Even David has to finish cleaning them out because what happened? Israel does not obey Deuteronomy chapter 20. These, this, these corrupt societies were not totally wiped out and it ended up being problem for Israel. Verse 17, Deuteronomy 20 verse 17, God's command to his children was utterly destroy them. And then he lists them out, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, which the Lord thy God hath commanded thee. So that's one part of the problem. The other part, verse 18, says that they teach you not to do after all their abominations, which they've done unto the God, so that you should sin against the Lord your God. God's wrath over sin is real. People ought to see that and tremble over the idea of sin. But thank God for Calvary. Okay, that's the dispensation of the law, okay? And the law, what does it do? It shows us that the wages of sin is death. But what? The gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. People wanna talk about God as being this monster, okay? Look at what a savage, bloody monster God is. No, God, from the beginning, fell all over himself, warning man that the wages of sin is death. It started in the garden, right? Here's. Everything's on the menu. There's only one tree that's not on the menu. And I'm telling you, the day you eat thereof, you will surely die. What's he doing? He's telling Adam, the wages of sin is death. Don't do it. But man has to have a free will. And men have to be able to exercise their free will. And so God allows the space. Study your Bible. From Genesis to Revelation, God has done nothing but fall all over himself to see mankind saved from the penalty, saved from the wages of sin, saved from his wrath, his own wrath over that sin. That's why Christ was, I mean the Bible says, for the joy that was set before him, he took up his cross, he took your sin and nailed it to that tree at Calvary. I'm so grateful that God loved me so much that he bore my sin and suffered God's wrath over everything I did. God has done nothing but fall all over himself trying to rescue you out of the wages of sin to save you from death. Thank God for Calvary. Lust, when it conceives, it brings forth sin and sin, when it's finished with you, brings forth death. Verse 30, and Simon said to, or I'm sorry, and Jacob said to Simon, uh, Simeon, He says to Simeon and Levi, you've troubled me to make me to stink among the inhabitants of the land, among the Canaanites and the Perizzites, and I being few in number, they shall gather themselves together against me and slay me, and I shall be destroyed, I and my house. And they said, should he deal with our sister as with an harlot? 
Man, that's tough, man. Look at Jacob's response, though. This is a low point for him. I mean, Jacob should have been the one acting on behalf of Dinah. Instead, he's worried about his reputation. And he's not showing sorrow over how Dinah was treated. He takes no personal responsibility for the catastrophe. He was supposed to have her in Bethel. But here it is, he's right. His testimony before the lost is ruined. You know, you're making me to, I mean, you're, you're making my rep in this place stink. If these guys, if enough people hear about this, they're gonna band together and deal with the threat. Don't you guys recognize what you've done? Yeah, well, his testimony was terrible. So how do we avoid, here's a sojourner following the word of the Lord who has a terrible rep before the lost world. Can we close with me giving you some homework? Not a good sign. (laughs) Grab your pen, grab your pencil. Oh, it's right there in your notes. Titus chapter two. I wanna give that to you as homework. This is how we rescue our rep. This is the key to right living and what people will say about it. It's found in Titus chapter two, verses one through 10. So I'll just brief you, but I want to assign this to you this week. Spend some time in it. In Titus 2, verse 1, we're told to speak the things which become sound doctrine. So what the Bible says is right, you need to agree with that. You need to say those things. So you don't want to, for the words of God, substitute your opinions. You don't want to do that. You don't want to explain away the word of God. You need to just say what the Bible says. And then you need to live it out. In verses 2 through 4, right, we see Christian living. So say what's right and then live that out. That's the first step. Verse five says, the result will be a right testimony that the word of God be not blasphemed. So God's people live so as to become sound doctrine, right? Speak those things which become sound doctrine. You know, if a lady buys a dress, um, she's got some event she, she wants a new dress for. She'll buy that dress and, and, it's, and it's tailored really, the fashion is really sharp and, and the colors are complimentary and, and she puts that on and models the dress for you. You say, oh, that dress is very, what do we say? Somebody's like, you look smoking. No, that dress is very becoming on you, right? In other words, it looks what? It looks good on you, right, it's very becoming. Well, you want to speak the things which become sound doctrine. You wanna, you actually want to be agreeable. You wanna actually positively align with what the Bible teaches and then you wanna live that out so that the word of God is not, what, blasphemed. Do you remember when they blasphemed the Holy Spirit in Jesus' earthly ministry? Do you remember what happened? How did they blaspheme the Holy Spirit? Jesus is working miracles. Man, the blind are seeing, people are getting healed. What, how did they blaspheme the Holy Spirit? They attributed the power of those miracles not to the Holy Spirit, but to who? But to Satan, right? They actually lied on the Holy Spirit and accused him of actually being Satan. It's kind of really what happened in terms of the big picture. So how do you blaspheme the word of God? Well, what does sound doctrine say? And now you're showing the lost world that the word of God doesn't work in your life, that it's not becoming, right? That, 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 that what the word of God teaches isn't worth submitting to and following, believing on and trusting God to make reality over your life. Man, my, my Bible tells me it's a living word. It's a quickening word. It's a life-giving word. 
in the lost world. It's what they desperately need. They desperately need to see that. Then it gives instruction to the young men how they are to live and how are they to speak in verse eight. Why? That sound speech that cannot be condemned. You wanna actually communicate in a way that people say, yeah, this guy's solid, right? That he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed having no evil thing to say of you. Uh, yeah, that kid is a Bible thumper, but man, they're, they're, they're sincere, they're legit. That's verse eight. Then we look at the employee-employer relationship, exhort servants to be obedient, uh, be obedient to their own masters, to please them well in all things, not answering again, not purloining, but showing all good fidelity. Be a good worker, why? That they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior in all things. You want to live out, you want to wear out, right? You want to show out, you want to wear what the Bible teaches. The lost world needs to see that, and all of that falls out to a beautiful testimony of God in your life. That's your homework. Titus chapter two, verses one through 10. Amen? Okay, I'm assuming that'll be in your quiet time this week. Okay, so let me pray for you. Father, I come to you now in Jesus' name, and Lord, we saw hard things this morning, and, and we saw pictures that apply to our life, and Lord, I just wanna start first of all by praying for our fathers, Lord, that, that, that our men, that they'd purpose in their heart. They're not gonna halfway. They're not gonna halfway their walk. They're not gonna halfway their devotion. They're not gonna halfway their life in Christ. They're not gonna, Lord, let, that they'd, they, they would eschew the whole close enough is good enough mentality. God, I pray that their wives, God, I pray that our children, Lord, that, that the people that you've placed in our life that we're responsible for, that they'd see that we view you as being truly worthy, that you're worth being right with, that you're worth being all out for. We want our kids to see the reality of who you are in our life. God, help us to be wise and see how the enemy seeks to corrupt, to steal, to defile our children. Give us eyes to see, give us ears to hear. Lord, help us to be careful and diligent and watchful. Lord, to be circumspect, these are evil days. Help us to recognize that there are evil days and evil men and, and those evil times do come and, 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 and just purpose up front that as for me and my house, we're serving the Lord. So Lord, I pray for our fathers. Lord, I pray for, for, for some of the ladies. We've got ladies in our church who can identify, and just like Dinah, they were raped. Uh, their, their innocence, their purity was stolen uh, in a monstrous act. And so many have already learned that God, you're the God of restoration. Uh, you are, everything you do, whenever you restore, it's always better than it ever was before. And, and, and some are enjoying what you've done in terms of healing and help in their life, but there's others who are struggling. And Lord, they need to know that you see it and that you will repay. Your word says that vengeance belongs to you. Um, Lord, help them to see that, that, that all men have a free will and we do live in a sinful and fallen world and, and when they're hurt, God, you're grieved and your righteous anger has been exercised. But God, help us to see that we can trust you even in that. Lord, I pray for the, 
I pray for the relationships that we have. Lord, so many people respond with evil for evil. Uh, One monstrous act in our mind just demands and determines another monstrous act. And and so Lord, I pray that you'd, you'd bring us to the place where we can cast our care on you and do it in faith knowing that you care for us. And then Lord, if there's any here today that do not know Christ as Lord and Savior, God, I'm praying that today would be the day of salvation. God, help us to tremble over the exceeding sinfulness of sin and help us to see that your wrath is kindled against wickedness, against sin. And the wages of sin is death. But God, also help us each to see how greatly you love us. God, you so love the world. You gave the Lord Jesus Christ to be our sacrifice for sin, to satisfy your wrath at Calvary. Lord, he died for our sin and he rose to eternal life and all who call on him for mercy and for forgiveness of sin. Lord, everyone can receive eternal life in the person and the finished work of Christ. God, I pray that today would be the day of salvation according to your word. And I ask this in Jesus' name, amen.